to be going to um, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Lord, pre me to be a saint. Chapter 5, starting at verse 1, you will find these words. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. And this morning, or this afternoon rather, I would like to talk with you for a few moments from the thought, the Beatitudes, part one. 
the Beatitudes, part one. This morning I decided to read the first two verses again to refresh our minds about the context of the message at which Jesus was beginning to speak. We realized that Jesus had healed many in the multitude that were suffering for all manner of diseases. Jesus had met their physical need. And now Jesus is now getting ready to deal with their spiritual needs. The utmost need, the greatest need, that which is eternal. We saw on last week that the multitudes consist of all kinds of mindsets. From political mindsets to religious mindsets of all ilks. From some who were secular to some who were legalists to others that was just had a zeal for whatever they were doing. And so now in the midst of all of that, Jesus enters the picture. But he enters the picture like none other. All the world's wisdom began to look like foolishness in the sight of the Lord. And so here is the word embodied in flesh who's beginning to speak. And we found from last week when the word of God said and he opened his mouth. That was a signature or a signal to let us know it is one who would be speaking with authority. As the prophets of old spoke with authority when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now the one himself, God himself is now beginning to speak in the person of Jesus Christ. It is interesting that when Jesus comes on the scene, it's almost as if he's coming on the scene with words that turn the law upside down. The reason why I say this is because the last words that they heard from the Lord in Malachi chapter 4 around verse 6 was that the Lord said, I will return the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers lest I smite you with a curse. God was saying, now I'm going to make an opportunity for you guys to get back on one accord. I'm going to make an opportunity for y'all to start living right. But if you don't, I'm going to slap you with a curse. But here comes Jesus. Some of his first words are blissful blessings. Here comes the mercy. Here comes the grace of God. We have seen the justice of God, but God has the other side of grace and mercy, of compassion, and it was embodied in Jesus Christ. So he looks at the multitudes and his disciples And he begins what's called the Beatitudes, a series of blessings with a condition and then a result. So today, in our short message today, we're going to deal with the first of the Beatitudes. And that Beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word kingdom of heaven could also be translated kingdom of God. 
And we talked about also that Jesus said that my kingdom is not of this world. If it had been, my servants would have fought for me and not allowed me to be delivered up to the Jews. And he said, my kingdom is not of this realm. So here in the first beatitude, Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is this kingdom. This kingdom of God that's not of this world. This kingdom of heaven. He's saying, for those who are poor in spirit, you will inherit the kingdom of God. Now Jesus being the embodiment of the second one in the Trinity, he's beginning to explain to the people the things of the kingdom agenda. And he starts and he allows them to see what condition that their spirit must be in in order to receive the inheritance of the kingdom of God. I'm pretty sure that everybody in this place wants to go to heaven. And God has given us a prescription for what those who would inherit heaven looks like. So our text starts off with the blessed, happy are those who are poor in spirit. In another one of the gospels, it just says, blessed are the poor. And many have mistranslated it to believe that he was talking about physical. That if folks were in poverty, then they were blessed. So people began to believe that they had a one-way ticket and an easy believism move if they were poor. If their socioeconomic levels put them in a place where they were suffering materialistically. But this text allows us to see that the clarity of this is it has nothing to do with our material possessions. Whether you are poor, middle class, upper middle class, elite, rich, it does not matter. Because it's not your materials, but it is the condition of your heart. And so what condition is Jesus bringing to the forefront here? He's bringing the condition of a spirit that is poor. Another way to look at this term is to see it as blessed are the humble. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the humble. So now it is prudent for us to start to look at this word humble and really understand what it means. Humility esteems another to be greater than yourself. Humility says that I need somebody else to help me when I cannot help myself. Humility is not the saying that we need to pick up ourselves by our own bootstraps. We need to look internally within us to find the answers for the world. That is not humility. That is saying that we are sufficient in ourselves to find our way to bliss and we do not need the Lord. And so the Bible teaches us explicitly that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists 
the proud. So those who, who will admit and will put themselves in a position to say, Lord, I need you because I can do nothing without you. God looks down on them and gives them what they need to do that which they need to do and so much more. Jesus said, I came to give life and life more abundance, not just sustenance, but the increase. But God is looking for some folks that are humble. There are some folks that can say, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's looking for some folks to come contrite in spirit and say, Lord, I'm empty. Fill my cup. Lord, I don't know how to do this, but Lord, if you lead me, I will follow. Lord, if you lead me, I shall not stray. Lord, if you lead me, not that I'm going to lead myself. Because we're all like sheep and have gone astray. But the good shepherd comes to seek and to save that which was lost. Humility. And then that text says he resists the pride. So when we begin to rely on our education or rely on our experiences in life or rely on other people or rely on just anything that we think we can do of ourselves, our own schemes and our own things, then God resists that. God says, okay, if you want to do it on your own, you will do it on your own. And that's why the world is in the mess it is in today. That's why we've got all this pandemonium. That's why we've got all this destruction and all this pain. Is because people have decided, that's all right, Lord. I got this. I don't need you because I got education. I got, I'm smart. I'm this. I'm that. Not realizing that they are nothing without him. They would have no education, would have no brain, would have no existence unless the Lord said, let there be. So our world is in chaos. It's in a constant spin because man is trying to figure this out himself. And all he's doing is making a bigger mess and a bigger mess. Governments have lended money to other governments trying to figure this thing out themselves only to bankrupt one another. Here the U.S. is who used to be one of the richest nations in the world, have lost their credit ratings and they are no longer AAA rated. But when man decides to take God out of the equation, you do end up in bankruptcy. When God is taken out of the equation, men get on TV and start kissing one another. And then the pundits begin to speak in the microphone saying, this is a great day for America. <laughs> Professing that they were wise became what? Fools. This is the worst day for America. But they think it's the best. When the culture says that anybody who talks against this kind of activity, which the Bible explicitly talks against, then they want to mount up and be mean and say that you're being intolerant, but they're being intolerant themselves. 
That's what happens when man tries to figure it out. Then enters disease, AIDS and syphilis and gonorrhea and all manners of immune deficiency syndromes and all of this because man want to have it his way. I got this, God. You can sit on the sidelines and watch me play. But man is in conflict with himself. And the referees are on the field with the book. And they're saying that you are out of line. But they say, that's all right. We know how to play the game. So Jesus comes into the scene and he says, your way is not the Lord's way. Not to be rich in spirit and to be proud and haughty and arrogant, but to be humble. To put the glory to where it's supposed to be, not on yourselves, but on the Lord. In whatever I do, however well it turns out, all glory be due the Father in heaven. And I'm so glad that God has some folks out there in the limelight, sprinkled out there, that still will say, on this rock, I'm nothing less but Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Everything around it is sinking sand. But on the solid rock, Jesus, I stand. I'm so glad that we still got folks who get in the mic that's on TV that will still lift up the name of God. That will still lift up that name, that wonderful name, Jesus. But the good news is that God has not left this world alone. He's left you and he's left me to continue to proclaim the kingdom of God. God has an agenda. And you and I are to carry out that agenda. That his kingdom will be built. Not a kingdom of this world. Because his kingdom is not of this realm. As I said in Sunday school, the kingdom of the world is 180 degrees opposite of the kingdom of God. That which they call wisdom, the kingdom of God calls foolishness. That which the world calls foolishness, the kingdom of God calls wisdom. So we ought to walk in a peculiar way. But the scriptures will interpret themselves. What does it look like to be poor in spirit and an inheritor of the kingdom of God. We don't have to go any further back than the book of Genesis. The very beginning of the book of Genesis, the garden of Eden. Before man decided to take this on themselves to say, I got this Lord. It was a place of bliss. Adam had dominion over all things. He had a job to do, but it wasn't hard. God was with him, Deacon Johnson. He had filled him with his spirit. And Adam was equipped with everything he needed to name all the animals of the world. Because he had God with him. And God, because he was humble, God gave grace to him. The Garden of Eden 
was a manifestation of God's grace. That place was a place where he didn't have to toil, nor did he have to sweat. There were no thorns and no thistles. There wasn't any rock hard ground. The things were vegetated and green just as they needed to be as long as he realized that God was his source. But there came a day when that serpent, the most cunning one of any beast in the field, showed up and began a conversation with Eve with a sole purpose of getting them to forfeit their inheritance. And so as she began to talk with this beast, which was the first problem, we don't need to be talking and conversating with Satan. He ain't nobody to play with. He was the chief of angels, don't forget that. And even though God threw him out, of heaven, he still has some power. Especially for those who do not want to be attached to the Lord. So they began to talk and he began to talk to her about what God has said. She started out good, but then after a while she began to hear the things that Satan was saying and then she began to believe the lie. It is the lie. That what God says isn't really what he said. That's the lie we're living in today. That God doesn't really have a judgment. He doesn't really have a hell and a lake of fire and brimstone. I mean, he said that, but is that really what's going on? I mean, there's no rain. There's no fire raining down from heaven right now when we do what we do. I mean, really? So he got Eve to believe that the problem was God was trying to hold her down. And that's the same lie he's telling folks all the time. Go ahead and have sex with whoever you want to have sex with. I mean, God said it, but really, he just didn't, he want to hold you down. He wants you to not have no fun. I mean, go ahead and, and have your way. Don't get married. Don't do anything. That just have sex and do what you want to do. I mean, hey, if you feel like that, or, that if you're a woman, another woman is who you want to be with, just go. It's going to be okay. God understands. If it's another man for a man, go ahead. If it feels good, go ahead. It's, everything's all right. Nothing's wrong. And after a while, I mean, the culture will be right behind you. I mean, look, people are... Ch- Championing you and calling you heroes and saying how much courage you have. I mean, you go ahead and do it. That's the lie. God didn't really say that. So we have to be careful because that is how the kingdom got forfeited. That's how the grace of God became the resistant of the proud. Because she thought that now I need to go ahead and move forward with eating of this fruit because God's trying to hold me down. That he don't want me to be just like him and to have knowledge of good and evil. But that's where we lose. That's where we forfeit is when we start to try to take on things ourselves. And say if it feels 
so right, how could in the world could it be wrong? How in the world could it be wrong to live like I love such and such? And we're going to be together. I know God said we need to get married, but it feels so right. How in the world could it be wrong? I know that the Bible says it, but he didn't really mean it. And God begins to resist. Then relationships begin to fall apart and happiness begins to flow away. And the joy that once was had is lost because God is saying, okay, if you got it, you got it. But you don't want to have it because we don't know how to have it. And that's why we need the Lord to show us how to have it. And so this text is saying, Jesus is coming in and saying, we got to get back to Eve if you're going to have dominion in the world. He's saying, if you become poor in spirit again, if you acknowledge and you truly start to trust in me for all of your resources, for all of your decisions, then you will inherit the kingdom of God. You will inherit the second Eden. You will inherit the one that the second Adam came for. But until we begin to put ourselves in that position of humility, we will not see the salvation of the Lord. And so as I come to a close today, New Zion, I want you to know that God has little kingdoms inside of the kingdom of the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. So when we come together, we ought to come together and see a little bit of heaven here on earth. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right now, because we are spiritual, because we have been saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, there ought to be some heaven in this house. When the saints come together, there ought to be an experience and a presence in here that cannot be found anywhere else. For there is the kingdom of heaven. So if we're not experiencing this experience, we're not having this newness and this presence of God, then we ought to start to look at ourselves. And we ought to start saying, Lord, where is the pride in me? Where is the, I can do it myself? Where is the, I have decided that I'll do it this way in me? So that, Lord, you can get it out of me and the eyes can become weeds. Because that's what the Lord is really looking for. He's looking for many members, but one body. Because the Bible says when they were on one accord, the Spirit came through like a, what, rushing mighty wind. If we're going to experience this rushing mighty wind, we got to become weeds and not eyes. That's why it's good for us to pray together as much as possible. Because we start to learn that it's about us and not about I. You know, they have the saying in the, in the, in the world, they say, there's no I in team. And there's no I in we. It's us. And so God is saying, if you want to have the true blessedness, you got to first 
Lay down yourself. You got to first acknowledge that you need God to lead you in every aspect of your life. See, a lot of times what we do is we allow the Lord to lead us in this place or in that place. Maybe we allow him to lead us on Sunday morning to come to church, on Wednesday night to come to Bible study. But is he leading us on our decisions on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Is he leading us in raising our children? Is he leading us in how we work in the workplace? Is he leading us on the decisions we make when we're in the marketplace, on the kind of buys we make, on the kind of things, transactions we make? Is he there too? Because the kingdom of gender is the comprehensive rule of God over every aspect of our lives. So it's time for us to start having an introspective and looking at our lives because church is not separated for tomorrow. Just because we're here today, tomorrow is church too. Because we don't look here or there because the church is inside of you. So saints of God, I encourage you today to make the kingdom a daily walk. To make the kingdom part of your comprehensive rule of every aspect of your life. When you're out in the street, not talking strange and like the world to fit in, but be a peculiar people. Be a holy priesthood. Be set apart. And let them call you strange. Let them call you fanatics because that's all right. Because the kingdom that you're from is not of this world. Amen. Amen. So keep on doing for the Lord and don't let folks throw you off. Don't be concerned about how they think. But you keep walking with the Lord. Quit trying to live on both sides of the street and live for the Lord only because that's how we're going to make it. If I'm going to be all God wants me to be, I got to live right. I got to live not only today, but I got to live tomorrow. When I'm at the workplace and they see me at my desk and when they come and they taunt me or do whatever they do, because you know they test you all the time, don't you? When they find out you're a Christian, they set up situations to see, okay, now let's see how good a Christian they are. Is they going to cuss me out when I do this or do that? But if we rely on the Spirit, we are able not to do what they think that we will do and that they will have to go back and tell a testimony that something is different about them. They are who they manifest themselves to be, who they profess to be. They are of another kingdom. And they are walking in the kingdom agenda. So right now, I put out the request for anybody here who does not know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, does not know about this kingdom that knows that they don't have a relationship with God, the doors of the church are open. You can come just as you are. You don't have to get yourself together. So many people, when I talk to them, they say, well, well, Pastor, after I I clean up some things, after I, you know, I stop drinking, I'm coming to church. Well, you're probably not going to stop drinking. You're probably not going to stop smoking. You're probably not going to stop doing all any of them things. And that's why the Lord says, come as you are. Because the problem with that statement is a problem of pride. First of all, saying that I can fix myself first and then I'll come. Lord, I got this. I I got my drinking problem. I I got my smoking. I I got this. Once I get that straightened out, then I'll come to you and show you how holy I am. But God is saying, no, you come wretched just like you are. 
Because after you have done all of your holiness and all of your works of righteousness, it's just as filthy rags. So you come just as you are and you acknowledge that you need me and I will come and live in you. And I will begin a work in you because I'm the author and the finisher of your faith. He who began a good work in you shall complete it. So you can come today. There is room at the cross for you. There is room at the cross for you. There's still plenty of good room. Amen. Amen. So as we get our minds and hearts ready for our offering and our benediction, my hope that we keep mindful of the fact that we are of the kingdom of God. And the beatitude starts with the joy, the blessedness that every believer ought to have. Because we're humble enough to realize that we are wretches undone. And that only if the good shepherd, only if the Lord Almighty, only if El Shaddai, only if Elohim comes in us and lives through us, will we ever be all that God wants us to be. And that it's a daily relying on him, not on our own ways and our own thoughts, but rely on his authority of his word and the power of the leading of his spirit. Amen. 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 Sister Collins. Yes, I would like to thank you, church, for the donation that you gave to Erica. She didn't say anything, but she's great. Amen. Amen, Sister Collins. 
Yeah, we love Erica too. Amen. We're so proud of her too. Amen. We are, Sister Erica. We're proud of you. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right. So if all hearts and minds are clear, let us stand. Amen. Where he leads me Teach us your word, O oh God. Lord, and instruct us and equip us, Master, with more of you and less of ourselves. Lord, that we can be the true ambassadors for Christ that you would have us to be. That the world might know that there is reality in serving a true and living God. And that the enemy may be served notice that the church has waken up out of its sleep. And that it's about the kingdom of gender, the comprehensive rule of God over every aspect of our lives. Lord, have mercy on us, Master, and keep us, Lord, in perfect peace. Lord, until we meet again, these things we ask in the blessed name of Jesus and the whole church saying, Amen. Please be seated and obey.